Hello, this is Radio Free Culture. I'm Andrea. Tonight, we're going to be looking at an app called Hackney Here. It's the winner of this year's Pre-Europa Radio Production Award. Now, understandably, it is horrible radio to spend an hour talking about an app. It's not in the room with me. Those of us who don't live in London probably haven't downloaded it yet. But we're going to be looking at it as an example of an emerging trend in media, which is location audio. Sounds that use your phone to know exactly where you're standing, and they emerge accordingly. If you don't have it on your phone yet, you might want to follow along by visiting hackneyhere.com and downloading the app. And we have a blog post about the project up on the Free Music Archive. That's freemusicarchive.org. And I'm going to be linking you up all over the WFMU playlist page. Now let me tell you more about Hackney here. Basically, it combines location-specific interviews with music and archived audio to give you a sense of what it would be like to have this on your phone um, and walking through the streets of London Fields and the Broadway Market area. Um, we've prepared a short montage it's taken from the app itself. And then from there, we're going to head straight into my interview with Francesca Panetta, one of the most talented radio producers out there. Um, she very kindly joined me from her, I guess her bedroom, kitchen, I don't know, somewhere in her apartment right after she finished unpacking all of her groceries. And I was in my apartment too, and we were kind of like across seas. But you hear this moment in the interview that's really worth staying tuned for, which is uh, someone starts screaming in in the courtyard outside of her window. And this is a frequent occurrence for her. And it was, I don't know, kind of a neat moment about how... Um, Hearing that little bit of location audio from her kitchen just meant um, connected me to her in a new way. So I hope you find this inf- conversation interesting. Let's start by hearing a little bit from Hackney here. Go on a journey. Sleep me in your pocket and prepare yourself. Are you ready? I'm Ian Sinclair. I'm a writer and I've lived in this area a long time. Now, if you walk with me a little way and then move over to the left where that bench is, we'll sit down and I'll tell you a little bit about what I feel about this place and what it means to me. Don't come around here thinking you can just come bopping on this park. Don't come to a man's park uninvited. That's like an invitation for hell. Pig throwing on London Fields, 1788. Secrets. Kissed a boy in the tower block. I think he was on the fourth floor when I was 13. If you're a gang member, get the guns in. Like, no small guns, big guns. In Hackney, if you're caught out with a 9mm, you're slipping. (laughs) I think it might have been my first kiss. You'll notice that, like the ship of Theseus, my parts have been replaced so many times. Wood, stone, metal. I'm not sure I'm the same bench as I was when I started. Follow me this way. Okay, stop. Wait. Close your eyes. Listen. The water's so inviting and the bubbles let the light in and the swimming is relaxing so nobody feels like fighting in the London fields. Lido. Splish it up and splash it up, the hackney mix and mash it up, the tattoo and moustache it up, Lynn's in her bikini and Jonathan's in his speedo. Joining me now to talk about the future of location audio and media is multi-award winning producer and sound artist Francesca Panetta. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks very much. All right, so this is a big question, but what is location audio, and why is it different from just putting an MP3 on an iPhone? Well, location audio, I guess, is is pretty old. It's it could be you know just an MP3 or a CD or something on location, but the kind of location audio that I've been doing um, is specifically for smartphones. So 
most smartphones have got kind of GPS on them. And by using your smartphone, you can tell certain bits of audio to trigger depending on where you are. Um, so it means that you don't have to go one particular route. Um, you can kind of wander an area and your phone picks up where you are and plays you that particular story. You've done a bunch of these apps. Where, where have you taken this idea? Um, so I started off in Hackney, which is uh, the area I live in. And it's um, a really interesting, it's a really interesting location in that it's a, um, it's, it's an area that is changing a lot in terms of its demographic. It used to be a really poor area. Um, in fact, I think it still is one of the poorest districts in the whole of England. Um, but in the last hundred years, it's had loads of ethnic um immigrants come to the area so we've got a lot of Turkish people here uh, we've got a lot of Afro-Caribbean people here in fact there are over a hundred different languages spoken um, in this district but it's also an area that's becoming gentrified at the moment so um, a lot of hipsters in particular are moving here um, we're seeing boutique coffee shops um, opening up, house prices are rising. So we've got all these different communities who are sitting side by side, all kinds of different stories, all kinds of different sounds. Um, and it's just a really good case study for a place um, to to give that variety of stories in one location. It also really shows how the technology is kind of exciting because all these stories they they sit in this area, but you don't you don't experience them when you're when you're living here or when you're visiting here. Um, so you literally might have you know the poor working class uh, living next to the you know more affluent people living next to these uh, different communities, but um, you don't hear their stories next to each other. You know, as much as we like to think we're living in these really integrated, very cosmopolitan area, actually we often interact and integrate, well, we often interact with uh, the people who are most similar to us. And so it was a way really of putting all these sounds and stories next to each other in the space. Did you imagine users from these varieties of backgrounds all engaging with the app in similar ways or has it just been picked up by the hipsters (laughs) (laughs) you know as much as I'd really love for it to have been picked up by old and poor and every single one of those um kind of ethnic minorities in honesty it probably is uh, you know our the kind of social demographic that I am part of and maybe is most familiar to WFMU as well, to be honest. Um, we we can't get a, a detailed breakdown of that data, but anecdotally, the people who've responded have been not that dissimilar <laughs> in terms of their backgrounds. Something I've been thinking about a lot with Hackney here is the idea that, that apps can be a very antisocial thing. Um, I can ruin any conversation by saying, oh, let me look this up right now, or let me show you this thing on my phone. So there's something about this experience with Hackney here where it's this solo journey um, through a neighborhood, but I like how what's built into it is the idea of getting to know your neighbor while you're on this very antisocial, very solo journey. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we actually, we did an event as a like a promotion event as part of a film festival where we we called it... um, Hackney here plus one and we gave people out splitters and we told them that they had to um to go and approach someone um someone new and invite them to come on the Hackney here journey with them because it is actually really fun to do with someone else and like originally we did it just as a testing purpose so that we could get like as many people to um to like give us feedback but actually doing it with someone else and like seeing their eyes and seeing them laugh when they hear the stories is really really nice so it is something we'd love for people to be able to share at the same time but um the technology just doesn't kind of work for that to be able to happen yet but yeah the headphone splitter option is really nice so take us into the app um what what kind of moments are created um that are specific to different locations that that you particularly enjoy and what kind of anecdotes have you heard from people about their experiences within it 
Um, so, like one of the one of the stories we've got is an ex gang member. Um, his name's Daryl, and he took us um, into the middle of the park that is um, takes place on the app. And he told us that actually that this area, this specific spot where he took us to, is called the Crossroads because it's the crossroads of four different rival gangs. And you know, from a kind of middle class. I'm just going to stop a sec because there's... Did you hear that noise yeah, yeah. behind? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What was the noise? I, I live next to um, a house that um, looks after mentally ill people and sometimes you can hear them. Um, oh, yeah. There's someone out in the garden. Sometimes they, it's not a bad day and sometimes when it's a nice day they, they go out there and you can hear them. Uh, so if you're standing at the crossroads, uh, you can see... Um, Daryl points out to you where these four different rival gangs, um, uh, where, where they're located. But, um, you know, it's also become this very kind of genteel park where um, people, like, they do barbecuing on the weekends and there's, um, you know, there's a really nice playground. And so it suddenly really opens your eyes to stand in the middle of this park and realize there are these, like, different... Um, different kind of youth groups who are kind of competing and um, kind of rivals literally kind of around you so I think that's a that was a, a particularly kind of strong story and also a particularly good use of this kind of location technology but um, one of the things I really like about the app is that by kind of juxtaposing really different stories next to each other you also get this kind of layering of history layering of of different communities like I've mentioned before and so right next to Daryl is this historian who talks about the history of uh, the swimming pool that's there's like an outdoor swimming pool a Lido also in that park and um, this historian talks about the history of of the Lido or the Lido as we should call it which is like originally came from Italy the the idea of these outdoor swimming baths and um and he also talks about how in Victorian times, actually no one had um, baths or showers in their houses and how people in the East End would flock to these swimming baths to clean themselves. Um, and so, yeah, right next to Daryl, the gang member, you're hearing about this swimming pool that's next to you that used to kind of wash all the grime off the dirty East Enders. So, you know, I just love that juxtaposition between the stories. Is the app able to kind of seamlessly move between past and present in that way, where you're where you're mixing history in with this current moment? Well, at the moment, the stories sit next to each other, so it's it's really in the placing of the stories that um, that we've put, and we did like really carefully try and put kind of intellectuals next to everyday people, and then we commissioned a whole load of artists as well to create material for the app. So we've got new short stories, performance poetry, um, experimental music beds. Um, so a lot of it's in the kind of crafting of where we put the stories. But we've also got different layering on the app. So we've got a layer of music and then a layer of, of kind of Atmos, um, kind of field recordings, wild track, and then stories. So like one of the things I really liked playing with was having um, different different layers of so you might have music from a different era over like a really modern day story or some kind of archive atmos over uh, some really contemporary music so we do have kind of layering um within the app as well i mean what i'd really love to do is and i think you can do with the technology is actually literally put the different layers of stories right on top of each other and then you could dig down and choose you know which era um to listen to um, but that's not something I've experimented with yet. So take me back to when you were initially pitching the project. Was it hard to explain and hard to move past the buzzword of app and really help people understand how it would seem and feel to be within it? Yeah, and I, it's, still, it's interesting. It seems to me a really simple idea, like the sounds just trigger off by where you are. It's not really confusing but it wasn't until either people like once people have done it they get it and 
when writing the pictures it was really hard people just didn't seem to understand what we were getting at and it was only when like we did the thing like that you do in pitches where you like write out a scenario and say okay you're walking down the street and so and so talks to you and then you turn the corner and then you get this song and then people kind of got it but yeah it's I think the idea of non-linear walks you know like you can go wherever you want your phone just knows where you are that's still still people don't immediately get that and they say like what's the route how long does it take we're like well you can walk wherever you want within this map and it can take as long as you want because you know you just walk from story to story um and you know one of the nice things about this app is that if you like walk out of a story it kind of fades out and then you fade into the next one and but the app remembers where you were so then if, if you go back to that space it like picks up the story from where you are so um it's kind of it's really nice use of technology, but it also means that like how long this thing takes really depends on how fast you're walking, you know, whether you sit and listen to like a 10 minute short story on a bench or whether you're just like zooming through on your bicycle um, and just how long you want to give it. It doesn't have a beginning. It doesn't have an end. Hmm. Um, we're working on an app right now for the free music archive. And it's been really interesting for me to learn how limitations are placed on app development through the relationship with Apple and the iTunes store. Um, so, and as a user, I appreciate the way that the apps all feel consistent within the store and there's not the clutter of other software downloading sites. I understand why Apple and iTunes have the restrictions that they do, but at the same time, did you feel like working within iOS limited your creative possibilities in developing Hack Me Hair? Um, I think it was less iTunes and Apple and more the restrictions of like GPS and actually what's what's possible. Like we thought that we'd be able to um, have a, like a story for every single shop along a road and um, that GPS and this technology would work like on all varieties of iPhones. And it's just still really early days for this kind of technology. So... Um, yeah, we're still, we, you know, you still have to work around a lot of technical restrictions, and um, yeah, meaning, I felt felt hugely compromised often. Huh. Meaning the GPS couldn't get specific enough for exactly. the level of detail you wanted. Yeah. Huh. What did you learn about how GPS works in the process? That, I that mean, all kinds of things from like how accurate it is. Like at the beginning, people were saying, "Oh, it's a ten meter radius." Well, it just isn't. Uh, different phones have got different kinds of accuracy. Android and iPhone are massively different as well. Um, weather changes the accuracy. Whether you've got your Wi-Fi enabled on your phone changes it. And then now I've done apps in different places in the city as well. And how built up it is and just where it is within the very same city. You get very different types of um, kind of GPS accuracy. So... Um, yeah, and I and I still don't know. I still can't go to an area and go, okay, this is you know exactly what the GPS is is going to work like in this area. That's so interesting. I, the, the the technology needs to keep up with with the ideas that you're having. As I mentioned earlier, the Hack Me Here app won the prestigious Prix Europa Radio Production Award, and this isn't significant just because it's a big deal award. It actually shows that this is a direction where they imagine radio production and storytelling is headed. So do you see, where do you, what do you see in the future of this kind of app-based and location-based storytelling? Well, I mean, I think from like a radio producer's point of view, it's really exciting because um, using place to be able to tell stories, just it just opens up loads of possibilities. So like what I've described, yeah, it has an eclectic range of stories on it, but like imagine using it for drama, um, or like a choose-your-own-adventure novel or uh, sound art installations. Um, it's just like it seems to have so many possibilities in terms of like fun things you can do with it. Um, but also like UGC stuff, news content, putting radio programs literally on the app. Uh, it, it just seems to be like endless, which is really exciting. Um, but... I mean, more and more people are using mobile anyway to listen to audio, like whether it's streaming radio, podcasts. Um, 
you know, everyone knows that people are basically moving from laptops and desktops to tablets and mobiles. And like how we consume all kinds of media, whether it's audio or visual or text, is like massively changing. And the kind of content that we make because of that is going to change as well. So it's just really interesting whether we will be making different kinds of audio and radio programs because people are going to be using different devices and doing different things while they're listening. Something that I'm struck by with Hackney here is is the level of intimacy that you're engaging with with the user. It, it literally says, put me in your pocket, like <laughs> as if the phone's talking to you and as if like it's, it's part, it's that you're not alone. You're with the phone and it's this little person in your pocket. So did you, did you think about that level of intimacy in the design? So that really developed while we were producing it. We were like trying out all different types of content and um, the stuff that really worked was when you when you engage with the person who's doing this experience with you. Um, and so we really encouraged people to say, like, sit down on this bench with me and I'm going to tell you a story and look at that and smell this and look down at your feet and feel this. Um, it, it like it feels really it's really extraordinary because you're walking through this area you feel you're physically triggering off these bits of audio and then they're talking to you and um you know i i'm glad that came over to you when you were like listening to some of the content but like when you actually physically feel it on location it's even more kind of strong and powerful and um yeah i that's one of the things when making like future apps um i've been telling the producers i've been working with like really play on that it's really important so where where else are you are you taking this and where else do you see it going from here so um yeah i'm really i'm really interested in um experimenting with uh, you know more playful content for these apps so i yeah i've done four of these now which are like specific neighborhoods all in london and um the next two that i'm doing well i'm just finishing the grant applications for them both and i one of them um one of them is actually international and um will be playing on um using a, a site that did have um a kind of natural disaster but looking at i guess what could happen if um if something like that happened again but in a in quite a creative um interpretation of that i can't say much more than that um the mm. other one is another L london based app but it takes us um all i can say is it would take us underground so into kind of hidden spaces underground um and charting paths that you can't get into. And that's um, a really exciting project because it's also, um, the grant would be really pushing the technology much further than we've used before. So um, that's really exciting too. So yeah, those are the, that and maybe drama are the things that I'm, I'm, I want to do next. If a producer's listening to this right now and thinking, I want to bring this to my community, what, how would you even begin a project like this? What advice do you have for people inspired by, by location audio? Um, okay, two bits of advice. One is um, to really get to know the area that you, that you want to do this in. There's no point coming up with a location-based idea if you don't know, um, physically know that really well. Um, and try and do less of an area than in terms of geographically than you think you want to. Every single time I do this, I pick a really big area and then just kill myself trying to make an app for it. Like pick a street or two. Um, yeah. So hmm. scale good. down. Um, and then I'm always recommend people look up um, the company that I work with in terms of the developers. Cause well, first of all, they're just brilliant, but also they, they do a an open source kind of free trial version that anyone can kind of sign up to and have a go at. And so that's a really good way of getting a taster too to see whether it's something you want to do and get a and get an idea of how the technology works. Um, the company's called Calvium and their website's called App Furnace. 
and um, yeah it's just really great to give it a go on your phone upload some mp3s you can see how the map works you attach the mp3 to a particular area on the map and then you can go out and like hear it work um, so those are the things that I recommend to people when they're interested in in having a go I'm curious about your background in storytelling. Are there any projects that you think helped to inspire Hackney here or were the precursors to it? Um, well, I mean, I must say that for three years before I was running my own podcast called The Hackney Podcast. And so like very much the style of Hackney here is that podcast um, kind of turned into a location-based app. But in, t- in terms of like what inspires me, um, I mean, I'm a feature maker. I'm a radio producer by trade. And I'm a feature maker, so I spend a lot of time trying to get to know people's stories and try and capture those stories quite naturalistically. Um, And I recommend to people who are kind of thinking about storytelling, really the best thing to do is to listen lots. Um, So I spend enormous amounts of time listening to radio programs, listening to podcasts, going to radio festivals taking down ideas for you know pieces that have inspired people getting them to send me mp3s uh figuring out why i like them you know i go to lots of radio conferences where we spend literally days analyzing programs why do they work why does this form of you know narration narrative storytelling work i'm kind of obsessed by it and i think that that is what helps you get your own style and your own voice in terms of storytelling. What's on your um, podcast reading list right now? What do you? What are your favorites? I've been well. I I've just been listening to uh, a couple of KCRW podcasts recently, um, The Organist and Strangers. I've been listening to um, quite sim- both quite similar in style. Um, I. I'm just about to check out Ben Walker's new podcast, which you told me about, which I haven't listened to yet. <laughs> so I will do that. So they're all American. Um, been listening to quite a lot of ABC's features. ABC um, is uh, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation's um, national radio station, and they do beautiful documentaries, um, like really carefully crafted, lots of sound designs. So um, their documentary slot 360 documentaries is is a really good place for listening to kind of crafted features. All right. Well, we're about to go listen back to some moments from your panel at this year's Radio Vision Festival in New York City. Um, could you tell me a bit about your experience meeting with Pike and Ellen and kind of comparing your, your notes about how you approach location audio? Um, well, Pike I already knew and we've talked loads about location audio I mean I I think we both came we both approach location storytelling in a really similar way and have been really influenced by similar people um when I was in New York we both did Janet Cardiff's um Central Park walk together and she's been a real key influence I think for both of us in terms of um both production techniques and storytelling techniques on location. Um, she uses binaural recording, which I use, I love. Um, and she very much plays with um, kind of using tricks of you know who you might be seeing or might not be seeing and what you might be thinking to kind of play with kind of reality. Um, so um, that is something we were both, hugely um influenced by um and ellen i hadn't met before but of course i'm a huge radio lab fan um and she was talking more about events which is interesting because it's something that i've had much less experience of but i know that the audio world is um also headed in in you know the direction of more and more events and how they integrate into into radio and I guess from a kind of radio lab point of view I'm really interested in how something that you know I see events as being almost quite crude for audio you know the 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 recording is much less tight you're in you know you're in a public arena and you've got much less control of a kind of crafted experience and radio lab is like the ultimate crafted radio program at least in the US so I found it really interesting 
to hear her talk about how two things that I imagine is kind of worlds apart, um, how she sees them living together and and how she sees events kind of growing in the kind of landscape of Radiolab. To back up kind of far, <laughs> you mentioned that you use binaural recording. Um, could you give me a quick definition of that? Do you use the, the funny blue man with, with the ears to do that? Um, what are your tools No, there? I don't. I don't use um, the dummy head. What I do is put microphones in my ears. So um, you can, well, for Hackney here, what I did was just put um, lapel mics. I just attached them to like um, uh, to my headphones, actually. So right as near to my ears as possible. But now I've got some proper binaural microphones which go inside your ears. So you get this like really wide stereo. So it means like I recorded all kinds of things like, bicycles passing or I would walk deliberately through groups of children or um, in between like market stalls and things so that it feels as you're doing Hetney here it feels like you've got these things whizzing around you and you're going through these passing through these people and um, like not only is it really fun to do that but it also again like plays with this idea of is it real or is it not real? Because um, you get, you know, a certain amount of bleed from your headphones, even if you've got closed capped headphones. Um, you know, you're, you're not often when you're listening to things out in the open space, you're not sure like what's coming through on your headphones and what's in the real world. And I really wanted people not to know whether, uh, you know, the road sweeper behind them was really there or not. They might turn around and look, they might kind of jump if they hear a, a truck passing behind them. Um and uh, you know I've got kind of dogs kind of passing and behind you in the park and um, so yeah a bit of fun but also like just really effective um, use of of audio. Well we're going to go take a listen back to that panel so we're going to hear you from several months ago Um, but thank you so much for joining us I really appreciate you taking the time. Where can folks find more of your work? Sure. So I've got my own website, um, which um, is phantomproductions.co.uk. So that's co.uk at the end. Um, And there you can find details of um, all the apps that I've made so far. So that's the one in Soho, uh, the one in King's Cross, London, and um, soon the one in Farringdon. So they're all London based, but also hopefully soon there'll be this uh, international um, app as well as um, a whole load of radio programs and podcasts. So yeah, all my stuff's on that website. Oh, I can't wait <laughs> for these <laughs> next projects to come out. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk with us today. Oh, it's a pleasure. It was great to talk to you. All right. Now we're about to head over and listen to our audio from the Radio Vision Festival, where Francesca spoke on a panel with Pike Milanovsky from the East Village Poetry Walk, along with Ellen Horn from the public radio program Radio Lab. The three super producers are going to be talking about how they're pushing the boundaries of audio with walking tours, immersive apps, and live events, plus the significance of taking risks and experimenting with new methods of storytelling. Jim Colgan from SoundCloud is the moderator. And the first voice you're going to hear is Pike. He'll be discussing how he used location audio in his East Village Poetry Walk project. Yeah, I mean, I think what we have with this location-based kind of audio, like Fran is also working with, is we have all the visuals. We can tell the stories where they're taking place. So you sit across from Ginsburg's old apartment and and uh, hear about how he would throw the, down that key in the sock or, you know, and go to the Avenue C in, in my um, uh, walk there. You go to Avenue C and, and there's a big power plant there and you, and you hear a poem where the poet makes it, um, talks about it as the last uh, station uh, of the cross and where mm. Jesus is buried. So suddenly this Conet power plant has these totally new... Uh, meanings and and so and I think it that that was interesting to me um, to really get to know uh, this the, the neighborhood and, and the, the spirit of this place and to share it with other people. So you're kind of using the ambient sound of real life instead of like mixing it just with recordings. Right. So you uh, 
didn't create a smartphone app, right? It's no. literally just an MP3, which is different from Franz. Yeah. Do you like? Would you have wanted to create an app, or was that like? Is that intentional? Um, I think I probably would have if if that technology had been around when I started this project. Um, but I worked on it for many years, and yeah. uh, and it wasn't really. I wasn't aware of it when I started. So yeah. so it is very traditional. Yeah, it gives you directions, tells you to go right and left, and yeah. Um, and and Franz is. Is um, it just triggers when you walk yeah. into those areas, which is great. But there's still something great about it being just audio too, right? You right. don't have to do anything else. But Fran, I wonder, does anything change when something is required of the user to like use an app and sort of interact with visuals in a different way? Um, I think n not particularly the visuals. I think that people still expect it to be linear. So. Um, like we, before we launched, we did a, um, a number of trials where we got people to, to user test it, and they said, you know, how long does it take? Where do I walk? And uh, we said, you, the, you, you can take as long as you want. You can go wherever you want. They, they just didn't understand it. So I think um, still there is a kind of perception of the kind of audio guide. Um, and I was saying it's not a guide. You know, you might you don't have a narrator. They're not all stories. You know, some of the bits are just sound art or a bit of performance poetry. And they, so I think um, kind of conceptually, it's it's kind of it's still quite early days for it and also what you can do with it i mean this was this was also um you know stories and uh on location but i think that you could also use it as dramas and as you know you could you can do really interesting things with the technology but um it's still it's still quite kind of early both creatively from our side and also from the user's side yeah. And already, I guess that's the difference between when Pike started creating his and when you created yours was available technology. So in terms of the actual storytelling, do you find that you approach that, like your technique and your craft differently in this new format, this different format? Uh, yeah, I had to kind of relearn my skills as a radio maker. So I, I started off by going out and using like lots of actuality and scene setting and... Um, the nice thing about the technology that I use, I use, um, I work with this company called Calvium, and they've got a website called App Furnace, which actually, if any of you want to look it up, it's um, you can just create a login. Maybe, yep. maybe you could go there, um, uh, and anyone can use. It's got an amazing kind of authoring interface, and anyone can just set up an account and try this out on their on their own. Um, so yeah, you can basically you can throw up sounds, you create your own map. You can throw up sounds and go out and test it. And I just found that I was basically making radio packages and sticking them up on location, and it was awful. It was really patronizing. It was really slow to get to the story. So I had to re-record loads of the interviews, recut everything. Um, because you're there. You don't need to paint the picture. You know, you don't, you're not using the imagination the same way. You're painting... You know, we talk about um, kind of... Uh, using kind of enhanced uh, layering technology, and... Actually, the, the whole world is there. What you're doing is adding stories or adding, adding another dimension to it. Um, and so it's a very different technique of storytelling. Um, so it was quite, at the beginning, quite frustrating, but also quite exciting learning these new, new storytelling languages. Cool. And so, Ellen, in terms of the adapting for the live stage, too, um, did you feel the same thing, or you and everyone else at Radio Lab, about like, starting from scratch about how to approach storytelling? Um, I'm not sure if it was starting from scratch. It's definitely different, and um, and it has a lot of this, the adjustments that we make from our initial draft to through the performance has to do with pacing. Um, like consistently, Robert wants to tell jokes that are more complicated and faster than people can absorb in the audience, <laughs> and uh, and so some of my role as director is to like you know, slow them down, allow them to hear what I hear from the audience and what I see in the audience, um, and, and really allow the, ex the physical experience to sink in. You know, if, if Robert's pressing forward with details or if Chad's giving, you know, a very complicated piece of information and there's something going on visually, you just can't absorb all that at once. So... Um, so yeah, in pacing, I think it's the largest cool. place that I see the difference. And then you have a, another opportunity which you don't have in when well, the radio is that you can, you have the audience right there who you can. You probably have a, I mean, that's it's amazing. easier to engage with. Yeah. The, that that part of it, I think, is the reason that we keep going back to it. Like we spend all our time in these airless rooms, um, you know, fighting out the details of a story with each other, and to be in a space where you hear people responding and you can hear what's successful and what isn't. It's 
really great. It's like so a very they, validating for us all. And does that change anything like on the fly based on the audience response? Like does that shape how it goes? Oh yeah, I mean each performance is different. I, um, I'm like looking out in the room and I know I see Fia who was in um, Philadelphia. Like that was a weird night, wasn't it? It was like it was really hot and we did this show in Philadelphia and, um, and we, Fia and I, had spent kind of most of the day trying to take advantage of the fact that there were seats in this particular theater that did not face the stage. It was like, well, that's weird that there's these seats that aren't going to be able to see what's going on. But we had these stories, the story in our show that was about these blind guys and we decided to give some invitations out to the blind community to see if we could get members of the blind community to come and just have a live conversation on stage. And we only found one woman who like took us up on our offer, but she was amazing. And, um, you know, it allowed for a very live experience and to kind of experience that story in a different way. And then magically there just happened to be another blind person in the theater who, who just jumped in without a microphone and started telling his experiences just yeah, every night's different, and every crowd is different. And so, one more question on that. Do, do you think it's, um, obviously, being in a live performance, it's not, as they say, in the tech world, scalable, in that, like, it's only however many people you can fit into the theater, right? But um, are you finding that you can do some of the things that you achieve in the live space on the air? Like, I know, I know with your app, you're, like, trying to take submissions and do sort of other kind of listener engagement, right? Yeah, I would say it's, we've gotten more excited about the possibility of incorporating the audience in, in new ways. I mean, I think a few years ago, we used to hear the kind of drumbeat of user-generated content, and it really bummed us out. We were like, no, we work really hard on this content. We don't want just anybody to like throw something up there. We, we didn't have an imagination at that point for what the potential of user-generated content was. And now I don't think it's about user-generated content so much as engagement and opportunities to like listen to the audience and incorporate different experiences. Right. Um, in our, so we launched an app in June and we were working on a podcast uh, a few months ago, I can't remember exactly when, but a few months ago, um, that was about the pain of childbirth. And so we, we put it out there as there were basically three male producers working on the program. And, and the whole piece was about how they didn't, men wouldn't ever understand the experience of childbirth. So we asked our listeners to describe um, with words that we might use it in the in the podcast, which mm -hmm. we did. You know, it was lots of people came yeah. forward to add their experiences. So maybe more palatable is user um, collaborated content, or and, yeah. and even a user Jack Dorsey from Twitter has tried to ban the word user. Yeah, right. And like, so maybe it's like listener or yeah. But um, so Fran, uh, when you're just when you were setting about doing podcasting at the, at the Guardian. Um, could you talk a little bit about what it was like then, like what sort of opportunity you saw and, and how that kind of evolved as, you know, the technology evolved and, and maybe where it is now? When I started, there were just two radio producers and we shared a desk and we converted a kind of broom cupboard into a, into a little radio st station. So it was, um, it was pretty lo-fi. Now we're in this big new building. It's 35 multimedia producers. We do... Uh, slideshows, video, uh, we've got a whole team of podcast producers. Um, so at the beginning, people didn't really know what podcasting was. The presenters were journalists, and they it was pretty rough and ready, to be honest. We were, I mean, we were, we were radio producers who were used to studio engineers, and we weren't used to doing everything. So we had a big learning curve as well, and we were training up the journalists to be presenters. Um, so from going from one news program, uh, we now have something like 12 programs a week. Um, and uh, the presenters are now, yeah, if you go to maybe to multi, or there might be a multimedia or something. If you do forward slash, actually just put audio at the end there. Okay. Um, so you have to be in the know to get the audio. Yeah, it's not incredibly findable, which is... Um, So if you go down a bit, yeah, these are all our podcasts that we do. Um, what was exciting for me was that you could just come up with an idea and launch a podcast the next day. So at the BBC, you have two commissioning rounds, one big commissioning round. Uh, the last piece that I made for the BBC took two years from having the idea, writing up the brief, 
uh, making the programme and it going out. When moving to The Guardian, I could literally come up with an idea. We could run into a studio and make something and then you launched a weekly series. You had this incredible resource of journalists, of um, even equipment at, at your fingertips. And, um, you know, it was, it was really exciting to kind of totally bypass that whole process and also not have to stick to a particular format. It didn't have to be a magazine show. It didn't have to be 29 minutes and 30 seconds exactly. Uh, it didn't have to be talk show every week, do a documentary. And then when I was run, running the podcasting team last last year, um, I was I would say to our producers, like, you know, really experiment. If you don't put a show out this week, it's fine if you put out something, like, really amazing the week after and that we've got this flexibility. So... I also think that part of our responsibility working in online and podcasting is actually to really embrace the creative potential in, in kind of podcasting and online as opposed to radio. That's cool. And, and how did that evolve then? Like, where would you say it's, it's come to now? Well, my job now has changed at The Guardian. I'm now Multimedia Special Projects Editor, which I'm really excited about because this is about... Uh, trying to find new ways of storytelling using all kinds of media. So this is visuals, audio, um, video, pictures, um, and I'm now working in a, a really interesting field of, of web documentaries, which is um, working with with uh, people like the National Film Board of Canada to do things that are looking at nonlinear storytelling, uh, mashing up together media in, in new ways, and... Um, so yeah, I guess that's where I where we're headed now. So so it's obviously not just audio; it's like it's multimedia, just in terms of changing it, but uh, but also still audio. It is. I think that there, especially at the Guardian, there is um, there's been a tendency to try and do everything in all media for every single story, and that is dangerous because. Um, a, it's very resource heavy. So, like, let's say you've got an economy story. It just does not make sense to do a big podcast and a video and a data visualization and an article and have a live, live Twitter stream at the time of you know, the budget, um, which that, that is kind of what we were doing a few years ago. And what we're thinking now is, okay, let's take that story. What is the best way of telling that story? And also, if you're making a, an interactive with all these elements, what is what can each of these elements bring to that story um, and trying to tell it in a kind of more subtle way? Mm-hmm. Cool. So, Pike, you also, you know, brought in multimedia, at least for the website, working with Ziga, and, um, you know, and it looks incredible. Um, I'd love to get your thoughts on the role of audio with all these new possibilities now. Like, do you think it's still going to be there? Oh, yeah, I think so. Um... Sure. Okay, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> Next Why? question. No, I think, um, yeah, and I, I mean, for me, the, the really exciting thing about these, these kind of location-based uh, uh, audio projects is that you, you, that you escape this terror of the clock, of, of, the, of the radio uh, clock and, and, and linear storytelling in a way. I mean, my, my tour is, is also highly curated it's not you can't just upload your East Village poem, but and and there is a root outline. So, um, but still, I'm not in control of the experience that mm-hmm. the listener is having, which is really exciting to me. And and also when I walk it, it's always different. I mean, it's the, the weather is different, and and you meet people on the way. Or, um, are you curious about how they're experiencing it? Like, since they are kind of changing the experience, right? Like, is there, there's no way you can get feedback of how someone has sort of created their story in right. the act of listening, right? No, I get, there's an email address on the site, so I get yeah. some emails from people who give me feedback, which is great. Um, but I, I like that idea of not being in control and, and for everyone to have their own experience. And, uh, and also creatively, like you were talking about, for myself, really, to... With, with this kind of, also with the Louisiana projects, that, that there is no clock and... and um, yeah, cool. Uh, so we do have some time for some questions if, if anyone has one, so just raise your hand if you do. But um, Ellen, just on uh, the back to sort of podcasting. Sure. When, I mean, Radiolab emerged kind of at the time that podcasting was happening, right? And it was a new Yeah, channel. I mean, I would say so that when you think about the history of, of Radiolab, 
I had heard a show that Jad was doing from when I was in San Francisco on my real player. Um, I, I, it was a really exciting period where we were able to hear things that were being created around the world, and but there wasn't yet podcasting. And um, he had a show that was called Radio Lab. That was the concept was it was a DJ spinning documentaries, and they were curated documentaries from around the world. And so when I met him, that's that's when what the show was doing, and we sort of transformed it into a show that was doing original content. Um, and and pretty early on. Um, even though we were on the air on Friday afternoon on the FM, we, we made the decision to not be on the hamster wheel of putting out weekly content, and that what we wanted to do was to concentrate on the, the storytelling and have a really high design, high production quality show. And that decision kind of f has fueled a lot about Radiolab. Um, but our idea was that we could put out five at a time and uh, on the radio, we weren't thinking of podcast at all. And, and I think the only reason that Radiolab is around today is that the podcast then an audience found us. Once we had put so much energy into making these pieces that then it, it turned out that people liked to download them and we had a fairly large audience that way. We now are on the radio even right now on WNYC at um, noon every Saturday at 93.9 and we're finding that the episodes of more than 300 stations are carrying them every week even though some of them aren't brand new we're still only putting out about 10 new hours a year but so we put out a podcast every two weeks and that audience has continued to grow over the last what six seven years so but just to clarify you said Radio Lab wouldn't exist if no. it wasn't for podcasting yeah absolutely not I mean I I think like first of all it I think it would have gotten too frustrating for us to just make it for a, a, a fleeting radio audience yeah um it, that certainly couldn't have sustained the cost of making it. I mean, I think the big, the big question and like the elephant in the room for all of us makers is like, how do you finance this thing? Mm -hmm. How do you find some way to support your creativity? And like, you know, Kickstarter's amazing, and that's that's a great opportunity. Public radio stations have, for a long time, been a place that allows makers to come and make creative yeah. work and creates an infrastructure that allows that. I mean, anybody can put something up on SoundCloud. They just don't get paid for it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for makers trying to figure out how to solve the problem of how do you get paid for it, it's a big issue, and in, you know, in some ways, we have to all suck it up. Like, I guess we're artists, and we're not going to make a lot of money. But or um, you know, I think there will you will see some more experimentation in that, like in in, in the near future. Anyway, from what, what I see. But um, Fran, you and I were talking about this about sort of the the benefit of just putting your stuff out there anyway. And then yeah. if, if anyone has a question, let us know. But do, do, do you want to talk a little bit about that in terms of like, don't want to dwell too much on the monetizing part of it, but. Well, I do think it's, I think it's a really important part though. I mean, for me, it's been a bit of a hybrid. So, I mean, I'm paid as staff by The Guardian. I'm really lucky that I have you know, a very open brief. But also the podcasting that I've done has allowed me as an independent to then go back to the BBC and use, especially my Hackney work, as a bit of a platform. So I see my kind of Hackney podcast and Hackney here as being um, almost, um, I mean, it's a creative, creative experimental ground for me, but it's also um, a place that I can then go back and make money. So I, for instance, um, uh, the BBC came to me, they were doing a big London series, and they said, we want, we want, they approached me and said, we want a whole series that sound like these pieces. Um, I've just, this piece here, this Wild Hackney piece, I've just sold a, a four-part series to BBC Radio 4 um, uh, using the same treatment. So the money is coming back in round the back corner, but it's still by the traditional broadcasters. Um, another interesting model, if you look up, can you search for Soho Stories and National Trust? Um, this, is, this is the second app that I made. Um, the National Trust is a, a heritage, um, very large heritage company in Britain. Um, they came to me after Hackney here and said, we want to do something that uh, kind of rebrands our heritage image. We want to do sex, drugs, and rock and roll in Soho in London. And so we made... This, so they paid me, and I set up a production company actually to do this, to make the same thing as Hackney here, but in Soho. So now I think this is an interesting funding model of, of making very creative multimedia content. Um, 
but not through traditional broadcasters. And I'm just doing another one actually for um, a friend who's an artist and a writer, and we're turning her book into one of these apps as well. So the publisher and, uh, and a grant has given me money to to make this into another audio and, and video and visual guide. So I'm kind of quite interested in it because I, I don't want to have my hands tied creatively by national broadcasters because um, I think, you know, they don't, give, they don't have enough money and they don't have enough space for us. But can we be doing things other than Kickstarter campaigns to be funding ourselves to be doing these kind of projects? Right. My poetry walk was partly funded by the Poetry Foundation. So I think what's... Our task is to find those people, those organizations that want to promote those those things that you're creatively interested in. Yeah. But do, do you think um, that you have to kind of create it first because it is so no, new that you kind of have to put it out there? Because I know you didn't get paid for Hackney here, right? But you end up getting paid for like kind of a cause of it. Yeah. And again, going back to kind of Ken's original quote, I think you do have to start on your own in the edges, in the sidelines, uh, because I generally think that national broadcasters just, they, they take safe bets. I mean, I see it in the commissioning rounds, at least in Britain. People don't mm. want to commission stuff that, they won't take the risks. Um, you know, like in the very first, um, the, the keynote speech, you know, the, if, if you don't make mistakes, if you don't take risks, you're not going to do stuff that's innovative and that is new and interesting. And public broadcasters are not generally up for taking those risks. All right, this has been Radio Free Culture. That was a panel from the Radio Vision Festival where Francesca Panetta, award-winning radio producer, spoke with Pike Malinowski from the East Village Poetry Walk, along with Ellen Horn from Radio Lab, and Jim Colgan moderated from SoundCloud. I'm Andreas Lindsay from the Free Music Archive. Uh, you should stay tuned for Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Hour. This is WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, and in Rockland County at 91.9 FM and online at WFMU.org. Thanks so much for joining me um, as we geeked out of a radio uh, over all things radio. <laughs> um, here comes Nardwar. <laughs> <laughs>